Well, it's so very good to be in 10th Church tonight. I'm so truly grateful for the opportunity to come and preach the gospel here this evening and to be again with a congregation and session and ministry staff that I love so much and to have been here this morning as well to uh, sit under Dr. Gallagher's ministry and see in so many ways that uh, the life and ministry of 10th Church is thriving. And great to be here for this choral service. In my experience, the musicianship of 10th Church is unequaled in church life. Uh, so great to be here for this kind of service again and to share this kind of worship uh, with you this evening and particularly to remember and in some ways celebrate the work of God's grace through Robert Elmore. I have not yet had the opportunity and privilege of meeting Dr. Elmore. I have only heard about him, but what a remarkable man. We've been enjoying his remarkable music uh, together already this evening. And over the past month, I've uh, read up a little bit on Robert Elmore and uh, just heard, learned so many wonderful stories. I, I love the story of Robert Elmore as a young boy when he was a musical prodigy with his legs dangling off of the piano bench praying that God would make his legs long enough to reach the foot pedals on the organ. If you are a young child, don't hesitate to pray about what God may want to do with your gifts and your life. He loves to hear and to answer the prayers of young children. I say he was a prodigy out of some 10,000 school, school children who were given a, a musical aptitude exam when he was age 11. He was the number one student nationwide out of those 10,000 students. He was only 16 when uh, one of the world's most prominent organists uh, called him the greatest organist in the United States. And his church musicianship has been remarkable, never conventional, but fresh, dynamic, something you haven't heard before. On one occasion, he complained that so many church organists play innocuous music for the offertory. I wish that just once they'd play something ocuous instead. <laughs> Elmore recalls one student who was 16 years old, so nervous before he played for the congregation that he noticed as he was getting ready to play this Bach fugue that the boy was trembling and he gently said, you know, the Lord can deliver you from this. And the boy had to admit, I don't think I know the Lord that well. And while they were on that organ bench, Elmore invited Joel to pray and ask for God's help. He did. It was a major turning point in his spiritual experience of Jesus Christ. Then there was a time a baritone in the choir came in and came into the sanctuary where Elmore was practicing, and he ra rather irreverently said, For God's sake, Bob, are you practicing hymns? And Elmore replied, Well, for whose sake would you practice? It shows both his dedication to excellence in worshiping, in worship, practicing familiar hymns, and also his absolute dedication to doing things for the glory of God, whether he was simply practicing or leading worship in the life of the church. Well, really, it's Robert Elmore who inspired my text and title this evening. 
Not sure the text worked out all that well on the marquee. You might just look at it uh, on your way out tonight and see what you think of the juxtaposition of this title with my name. You draw your own conclusions. But I was inspired, really, by what I read about uh, Elmore's absolute commitment to being honest with the difficulties and struggles of life, even in his music. There are a number of examples, even in the texts before us this evening. I was listening to the words of this anthem of confession. Lord Jesus, think on me with care and woe oppressed, nor let me go astray through darkness and perplexity. Vintage Elmore, in so many of his texts, choosing to arrange or compose texts that expressed in some way the difficulty of the Christian life. Things that don't just resolve that easily, but never without an ultimate hope and confidence in the goodness of God. I'm not surprised to learn that Robert Elmore particularly loved the book of Job. One of his biographers commented that in his music you often hear a contrast of degradation versus joy. Here's somebody struggling with the deep issues of the Christian faith and ultimately finding his confidence in the God of the Bible. One of his students testified to his deep and abiding faith in the Lord, which is reflected in everything he does. What a remarkable testimony. May that be said of us, that we have a deep and abiding faith in the Lord, which is evident in everything we do. That hope and confidence and faith certainly is reflected in Psalm 90. Let me encourage you to turn there again in your Bibles. We're going to take our time leisurely to work through this psalm this evening. You'll find it in the church Bible on page 496. A psalm of Moses, maybe the oldest psalm there is. Here is one of the oldest, the most ancient hymns of true biblical faith. And it has a kind of U-shaped structure. It starts in the first two verses at a very high point with great confidence in the Lord. But then in the middle of the psalm, from verse 3 running to at least verse, 11, uh, verse 10, you have a change in mood. The psalmist seems to be overcome by despair and frustration with life. He asks a provocative question in verse 11. And then in verses 12, really to the end of the psalm, you return to a high point because a prayer is offered to the Lord that he might look with favor upon us and protect us. I want to start in the middle, being honest about the troubles of life. And if we take our hint from verse 10, which speaks about life's toil and trouble, you might say that the theme of this part of the psalm is that our short life is full of toil and trouble. How's that for honesty about the difficulties of life? One of our troubles is that life is so short. That's a theme introduced already in verse 3. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. We are made of dust and we will return to dust. There's a kind of insubstantiality to our bodies. They will not last. Wiggle your fingers. They are made of the same substance as the earth itself. One day these bodies will decay. My body, your body. We are made of dust and will return to dust. This is part of the toil and the trouble of life. And particularly when you compare 
the length of our lives to the eternal existence of God, then life really seems short. A thousand years, Moses says in verse 4. That's just, it's just like yesterday when it is past, or even like a watch in the night. Now to us, even a few years seems like a long time. I reflect tonight, it was 18 years ago that Lisa and I first came to 10th Church. How quickly that time seems to pass. Can you even comp comprehend what a thousand years is like? Go back to Columbus. That's about 500 years. Then go back 500 years before that. And yet to God, all of that time, a thousand years, is like a single day or even less. Like just a watch in the night, the military guards patrolling the walls of a city, dividing the night into perhaps three watches, each guard standing watch for four hours. And to God, a thousand years pass by in those few hours, just the brief time that a soldier stands his guard. And then death comes quickly upon us. That's what the psalmist says in verse 5. You, you sweep them away. It's like a, a flood. That's how fragile and vulnerable our lives are. We're swept away in the torrent, like the sand on the shore that is lifted by the wave and then swept out to sea, or the house. And we went through this in Chicagoland recently. Seven inches of rain in 24 hours. The house suddenly flooded with water. Life is but toil and trouble. Or take another example, and I call to your attention how swiftly the psalmist moves from one example to the next example, really showing how fleeting life is, even in the way that this psalm is written. Our lives are like a dream, he says, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. It's almost summertime now. The grass has started to grow. I noticed walking through Rittenhouse Square that they need to get the mowers out this week. If you leave the cuttings on top of the lawn, they'll be green in the morning, but by the end of the day already, they will be yellow and withered. That's how quickly our lives fade away. Now we're strong and full of life. How quickly we will become dry and withered. Let me say it again. Life is but toil and trouble. I remember receiving a letter from a friend who had lost her mother to a stroke, and she commented how remarkable it was at 2.30 in the afternoon. Her mother was strong and active. She was laughing and talking on the phone with a friend, but by 3.30 she was dead. Never to talk or laugh on this old earth again. How swiftly death will come upon every man and upon every woman. And why does it come so swiftly? Why is life so short? Why is it nothing but toil and trouble? Why do we dry up and fade away like grass in the sunshine? These are questions that interested and perhaps troubled Moses, whose prayer is this psalm. And I think it's worth considering just for a moment what Moses knew of death. Here is a man who had witnessed some of the most terrifying catastrophes this world has ever known. 
He was there that deadly night in Egypt when the angel of death visited every firstborn son of the Egyptians. He was there when the Egyptian army, Pharaoh, and all his chariots were overwhelmed in the Red Sea. He was there when fire from heaven came down on the Israelite camp and on that other occasion when the ground opened up to swallow up those who had complained about the meals that God was providing. And then remember this, Moses leading the children of Israel through the wilderness for 40 years during which every adult in the entire nation, except Joshua and Caleb, died and then was buried in the sand. Is it surprising that Moses would compare men to withering grass when everyone he knows is dying in the desert one by one and then returning to the dust? This was the man's experience. And he also knew the explanation. He offers it to us. Why are our short lives full of toil and trouble? It's because of sin and judgment. This is a theme introduced in verse 7 and then touched on in various ways until it comes to a climax in verse 11. The brevity of human life is part of God's just punishment for sin. I think really the words of verse 3 where it talks about a return to dust really ought to remind us of God's words to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. You may remember that after they had eaten the fruit of the forbidden tree, God said to them, dust you are and to the dust you shall return. That's the curse that falls upon all humanity because of Adam's sin. We are subjected to decay and death because God is righteous. And this is his judgment on humanity's sin. This explains the sense of terror that the psalmist has in verse 7. It's not just death itself that is fearful to him, but it is the anger of God, this consuming wrath of God that brings an end to human life, that brings a sense of dismay. And he goes on in verse 8 to say that God knows all of our sins, even the secret sins, even our hidden sins will bring his, his anger and we will be swept away by the wrath of God. You might think that the beginning of verse 10 gives at least a little note of hope. The years of our life are 70, or maybe by reason of strength, 80. It's possible that we might live that long. In fact, there are some here tonight who have reached that venerable age. Some people live even longer. I was here just a few short weeks ago for the memorial service of Dr. C. Everett Koop, and he lived well into his 90s. And yet, even after he talks about the length of life that we might achieve, the psalmist then dashes our hope because he says that even those long years have toil and trouble in them, and they too will soon pass. Soon we will be gone. Notice the end of verse 10. We, we fly away. I think that is a message that everyone needs to hear. It's part of the sober reality of life in this fallen world. It's the kind of message that Robert Elmore often brought out in his music. It's certainly something brought out in the scriptures. It's tempting, perhaps, to think that God has promised us nothing but blessing in this life. If we expect to live a life free of suffering, we will be caught surprised when trouble and sorrow come. Our faith may even be shaken. The Bible teaches that in this life we will experience trouble. 
you were here this morning, you were reminded of that from Paul's words to Timothy in 2 Timothy, another reminder that we do experience trouble in this life, particularly those of us who follow the living God. And if we were ever to doubt the reality of sin and judgment in this world, we don't need to look any farther than Jesus himself, a man of sorrows, the Bible says, acquainted with grief, someone who experienced the toil and the trouble of life in his own few short years on this earth. His life, too, was cut short by our sin. He was swept away in the sleep of death and finished his life with the cry of dereliction from the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Nearly the kind of moan described by Moses in verse 9, all our days pass away under our wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. Does it surprise you at all that this is the prayer of a believer? Of Moses who, who talked with God face to face? But here is a man who saw people die and knew what the end could be like and expected life to end in a moan. I'm reminded of the words of T.S. Eliot, this is the way the world ends, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but with a whimper. I'm reminded as well of dying words of one former college professor, a, a godly man full of the Holy Spirit. A man who in the end, at the end of his life had been terribly sick. One of my friends went to be with him to encourage him in his last days on this earth. And he was there watching and waiting on the very night on which he died and shared with me that that professor endured great physical hardship near death, his body racked with unbearable pain. Dear Jesus, let me die. His dying words, a prayer answered in a life of toil and trouble. This is the honest view that Moses takes, an honest view that Robert Elmore often took in his brief life, which began just 100 years ago, and it too has come to an end. What does all of this mean for the believer in Jesus Christ, for someone who has faith and trust? in the God of the Bible and in, in his Son, our Savior. Is there nothing more to our short lives than toil and trouble? In his very memorable sermon on this passage, Edmund Clowney, who was formerly served as the president of Westminster Seminary, began with another old song that he put in contrast to the Song of Moses, another song that came out of the experience of Egypt, an ancient Egyptian text called the Song of the Harper, very popular in its day, an oldie but a goodie, you might say. Here's the paraphrase that Clowney offered. It's one approach to the brevity of life. It goes like this, don't bank down those inner fires, fire out your heart's desire. Until the day comes, when they come for you, make today a holiday. Take tomorrow, too. You can't take it with you, Jack, and when you're gone, you can't come back. You're only going through. Now, I did say that was a paraphrase, a rather loose paraphrase. <laughs> I looked it up in Pritchard's ancient Near Eastern texts, and uh, Dr. Clowney took a few liberties, but 
He had the sense of the thing. I mean, should you just accept the fact that life is short and difficult and try to indulge in as much pleasure as you can for as long as you can? That's certainly the approach that a lot of people take. But Moses has something much more for us here because he tells us, and he announces this right at the beginning of the psalm, that the Lord is our eternal dwelling place. Yes, this short life is full of toil and trouble, but our God is our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, and our eternal home. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Moses says at the beginning, you go back before the beginning of the mountains, even before that, before the foundation of the world, before these things were even brought into being from everlasting to everlasting. You, our, you are our God. That's the opening note of this psalm. It's dominant theme, which comes back at the end with great strength. Your life may have various toils and troubles, but contrast that with an eternal dwelling place in the living God. A Christian is somebody who always knows where home is. Home is where Psalm 90 begins. Whatever difficulties we face in our brief lives are preceded and followed with the life of the living God. They're set in the context of our relationship with him and all that he is to us. This morning in our worship together, Liam Gallagher was speaking about being safely home. Listen, if you make God your dwelling place, you are already there in one sense, safely finding your home in him. And so often our temptation in this life is to dwell on our troubles rather than dwelling in the Lord. Maybe that's a temptation for you at this moment. Still grieving the loss of a loved one. There are people like that here tonight. I see you here in the sanctuary. Maybe troubled by a broken relationship, confronted with financial worries, maybe uncertain what God's plans may be for you next in life, or some other trouble that really you've, you've hardly even expressed to yourself yet, let alone to others, and sometimes problems so overwhelming that you are filled with anxiety or maybe self-pity. When will these troubles ever end? Is there no end in sight? The troubles sometimes seem to blot out the light of day or the hope of God and His grace. I remember once, I think I've shared this before, but I remember once driving in the foothills of Colorado with a beautiful sky overhead and a vast expanse. You could see for miles and miles. But I noticed in the distance a beautiful rainstorm, the sun shining down from heaven on these great cascades of water falling on the foothills and a rainbow arcing away from the storm, a beautiful sight. But it occurred to me as I looked at it that if you were in that rainstorm, you wouldn't be able to appreciate even one little bit of that. All you'd be able to see is the rain. It would be pelting down on you. You wouldn't even be able to see yet how soon that storm would pass, how easy it would be to think only of those troubles. Moses doesn't make that mistake in this psalm. He's like a man who has the vision, at least by faith, to step out of his troubles and stand in the valley to see the wider picture. And so he begins not with his trouble, but with the Lord and with the home that he has made in the Lord. 
even in the toil and trouble of life. The Lord is your eternal dwelling place. Dwell in him, not on your troubles. And what a, a suitable and stable dwelling place he is because he's a dwelling place throughout all generations. Here we are, what is it, 3,000 years later maybe, and we are still reading the Psalm of Moses. He put his hope in this living God as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph had done before him, as David and Solomon would do after him. The Lord was a dwelling place for the early Christians persecuted in Rome, for the true church in the Middle Ages, for Luther and Calvin and all the reformers. He was a dwelling place for... Henry Boardman and Donald Barnhouse and James Boyce, he was the god of Robert Elmore when he was leading worship in this church. He has been our dwelling place as the community of the people of God, the church in the world, stretching all the way back before the mountains came into being. He is a dwelling place. He has been a dwelling place. He will always be a dwelling place forever and ever. I have a deep sense of gratitude for the meaning of this psalm in the history of my own community and own family. My Dutch forebears who came to the United States in the 19th century seeking religious freedom, escaping from persecution, witnessed the death of one member of their community while they were on the ship coming over to this new world. Psalm 90 is the psalm that was read on the deck of that ship for that brief memorial service, also a psalm that was read at my own grandfather's funeral service. In a way, it kind of proves the truth of the psalm itself. God is our dwelling place from one generation to another. He's our home in ages past. And once you make your home in the Lord, you can always turn to him. All of the the troubles and toils of life can be brought home to him. You have a permanent address with Jesus Christ. Think of it that way. A place where you can always go home with your toils and troubles. He's a safe refuge in the day of trouble. Now it may be that you feel far from home at times. Maybe feeling that the Lord is distant, that he has not heard your prayers, that your faith walk has been unsteady. But if Jesus is your Lord, you can always come back home. It's not just an eternal reality for the believer, it's a daily reality. And notice how what Moses does in the second half of this psalm, notice that he is praying for God's grace. I was really impressed, I have to say, with the way that Robert Elmore framed this text in the anthem. I wonder if you noticed as the choir was singing that they were singing some verses that if you're familiar with the hymn, Our God, Our Help in Ages Past, are somewhat unfamiliar. Do you know this verse? I, when beset with pain and grief, did pray to God for grace. That's taken right from Psalm 90. It's characteristic, I think, of Robert Elmore that he would notice that and say, I really want that verse which expresses the toil and trouble of life and praise to God for grace to be part of my rendition of this great hymn. And so Moses prays, teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. How long, O Lord, have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. This would be a wonderful prayer for you to offer in the coming days, a prayer of hope for God's help. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power 
to their children. Moses has confidence in the Lord's unfailing love. It will come as soon as next morning. That's how soon his grace will come. You'll notice in verse 16, he's longing to see some new work of God's power. Maybe not so much some new deed of deliverance, although it might be that, but maybe simply the eyes of faith to see what the Lord is already doing. Help us to see it, Lord, so we're not discouraged by our troubles. Help us to see the whole valley, not just the rainstorm that we're in, and keep showing us your greatness so that even our children may see your splendor. Moses prays in similar vein right to the end of his psalm, and notice his closing prayer, something that he repeats, a prayer that he offers twice, a kind of double petition, really, I think, the climax of the psalm. Establish the work of our hands upon us. And then having written those words, he says, yes, And he repeats himself, the biblical way of adding an exclamation mark, establish the work of our hands. Here's a man who knows how short life is, but is living and praying for eternity. I wonder how God answered that prayer in the life of Moses. If you think about it, merely in earthly terms, he accomplished, I mean, almost nothing. Really, the Israelites were there wandering from camp to camp. What was he establishing with his hands? Everything they had was portable because they knew they weren't going to be there long. And then they loaded up their tents and loaded down their camels and went to the next place. And the sand blew over everything and nothing was left. Nothing remains from from the work of Moses from those wilderness years. No monuments, no pyramids, no tabernacle fragments, not even the Ark of the Covenant. And Moses himself never made it into the promised land, but he prayed. He prayed that God would do something, even through his life, even if he wasn't able to build anything with his own hands, in his own strength, he prayed that God would make his life count for something. And in all of those years, God was building a people for himself who would be for his praise through all the toil and trouble of those desert wanderings, the Lord was making a people to be his very own. Maybe you look at your life and feel the way that Moses perhaps felt. You wonder if it really amounts to anything or adds up to anything or builds or establishes anything. You may not feel like you did anything of eternal significance last week that you could really see. Your toil and trouble may be weighing heavy on your hands. But the Lord will do something through your life if it is offered to him, offered with this kind of prayer that God would establish something through you. I see the answers to this prayer in my own family because this was my mother's constant prayer when she was the mother of young children. It sometimes didn't seem like it added up to much. The laundry, the dishes, the diapers, the car rides, Establish the work of my hands, Lord. That was her prayer. And she sees at least some of the fruit of her labor in the lives of her children in their older years. I think of the way that this kind of prayer has been answered tonight in the music ministry of Robert Elmore. His, the labor of his hands, his melodies, and the way he paired a text with a melody, that's living praise for us tonight. It's outlasted his death. It's been for God's praise tonight. It's a prayer answered. I think of the way that 
This prayer was answered in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, who trusted his Father to build a church, to raise him from the dead, to send out his Spirit to do his work in the world. I don't know how God will answer this prayer in your life, but he will answer it, and you will see the answer in the light of eternity. When your God, who has been your help in ages past, who is now your hope for years to come, will be your eternal home. Our Father God, we pray that we would make our home in you. We give you praise for the promise of Jesus himself that he's gone ahead of us to prepare a place for us. We live in the hope of that place and pray by faith to make our home in you while our troubles last. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.